Greatest things that ever happened. And I can't remember how we first met, but how the Giants and Good Tidings first met. And you could describe that. But whoever whoever introduced us is a saint. Hey, it's your friend Jason Mraz, the official spokesperson of the Good Tidings Foundation. And what an honor it is. On behalf of Good Tidings Foundation, we welcome you to the fourth season of the Good Tidings podcast that highlights the goodness in people. This episode is proudly sponsored by the San Francisco Giants. You can go to sfgiants.com for updates on the Giants and information on game tickets, special events, and promotions for the 2023 season. And now, enjoy the podcast. On this month's episode, I am sitting in beautiful Oracle Park in San Francisco with the president and CEO of the San Francisco Giants, a 25-year partner of the Good Tidings Foundation, and my former employer. So welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast, Larry Bear. Thanks very much, Larry. It's great seeing you. And uh, we've had some just tremendous memories over the 25 years, and it's been a, a blessing, the relationship and the partnership we've had for quarter century. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. So this episode will air in March of 2023 during the middle of spring training. What is it about spring training that gives really every team some hope? Well, you know, I I think baseball, baseball has a lot of characteristics that really the other sports don't have. And one of those characteristics is before the season, the regular season starts, there's this really fun ramp up for the fans because when the players train, you are there, have a front row seat where it doesn't really happen in training camps in the NBA or NFL or, or hockey. And it's a front row seat in a beautiful environment in Arizona or Florida. So it's uh, spring training is really a wonderful opportunity for the fans to come and kind of and look at the players and size up the season. And there's this other, to get you really to the essence of your question is, you know, there's a four-letter word called hope. <laughs> and hope is, uh, you know, they talk about hope springs eternal. And hope is really, you know, for baseball fans, and I think for the Giants this year, it, it might even have a, a little extra meaning, is you size up what what the team could look like. And you could have hopes. And we have many new players, Mitch Hanniger, Michael Conforto, you know, Taylor Rogers, Tyler Ross Stripling. I mean, there's a lot of reason we think for hope, but it starts to get exhibited at spring training. And if a guy looks really good and fans can get, you know, uh, revved up and uh, maybe we have a season that's somewhat unpredictable and that hope begins to percolate in the, in spring training. Yeah. And I, I would, I would assume just living here and following you since you've had the club, there's never rebuilding is never a thing. It's always, we think we're going to win a championship of some sort, at least the division or whatever, every year, correct? Right. And, you know, we had a, a, have had an expression through the years, win and develop. And that's hard to do. Those three words are easy to say, but not necessarily easy to do. So can you 
you know, continue to be on the positive side of the ledger in terms of winning and be, you know, compete for a championship and also have players come through the, the system. I mean, that was really the beauty of, you know, of a, a lot of the years that we had in the, in the 2000s, early 2000s, and through obviously the championship years in 2010 through 14, is that we, were, we kept bringing players through the system. And so we, we want to get back to that, obviously. Our philosophy is it's not really an option to tear it down to the studs and build it back up. There are teams that have been successful with that. But we feel like in this market with our fans and who we are, you know, and I want to sound arrogant, <laughs> but we feel like, you know, not unlike maybe the Yankees or Dodgers, we just feel like every year we want our fans to, to feel that hope of winning a championship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, one of the things I admire most about you is that you have always been available for the fans. You even sit amongst them at games. Has that always been your part of your business model as an owner? Well, you know, Larry, I mean, and we've, it's been such, so wonderful working with you and building these fields. And I've, I felt it, felt, you know, this feeling I'm about to describe and working with good tidings this way. I grew up going to games and going to, to play baseball in San Francisco and at JCC and middle school games and high school games. And then going with my dad out to Candlestick on the bus. And I, to me, that's where I get my highs is being, you know, seeing the enjoyment that a, a baseball season can deliver to a community, right? And because there's, let's face it, there's a lot going on in the world that's not easy to take and, and can get you down and can, you know, um, make life cha more challenging. But spending a few hours with a loved one or a friend or or whatever at a at a ball game is a special thing. And I, you know, one of my joys is to say walk up in the uh, you know the upper deck and see mothers and sons and fathers and daughters and grandparents, you know, enjoying the collective experience. Even more emphasized, you know, coming out of the pandemic when one year we had no fans, the second year we had limited fans because of, uh, you know, of, of COVID requirements. So, so yeah, I mean, to me, that's, we're not going to win the World Series every year. We want to, we're not going to every single year, but every single year we can provide enjoyment. Yeah. You mentioned you are a fourth generation San Franciscan in your wildest dreams, did you ever think riding on that bus to Candlestick that you would own your hometown franchise? Well, I, I, you know, and I'm a part owner. Yeah. I, I don't right. own the, the whole thing, obviously. But, you know, it's, it's funny because in my wildest dreams was not to be an owner or a CEO. I had two dreams and neither of them came true. So this is my default. The first dream was to be <laughs> Willie Mays. Right. And I grew up watching Willie Mays and, and going to games and seeing him play. So I wasn't good enough player to be Willie Mays. Then I had a dream to be like, you know, Russ Hodgers or Lon Simmons or John Miller, you know, a great broadcaster. And I did a little bit of that in college and it was enjoyable, but I wasn't good enough to do that either. And, and professionally, yeah. you know, how do you be, connected to teams. So I, I went through the steps in the business world to get involved in, in the behind the scenes business side of, of sports. And specifically, you know, I was lucky enough to be get involved in the Giants with Peter McGowan back in 93 when the team was acquired. Yeah. You know, one thing I know in your leadership, 
and we were talking about this briefly before I turned the microphones on, is how loyal of an organization you are. The players stay. The alumni players never leave. The front office staff that we've worked with forever has been here. What is the secret of that? Well, I think that, you know, I mean, I, I think we're really, really blessed to have people that uh, inside the walls here where we're sitting in our, in our offices that are mission-driven, very much like you and Good Tidings and Ronnie and your, your staff, meaning that their compensation is, you know, not just financial compensation, but emotional rewards so that they can feel like what, that dynamic of walking around the stadium and seeing, bringing enjoyment, especially the community service that we can provide through our players, through our foundation, through partnerships like ours with Good Tidings. And I think that, that, that that's, that's very uh, sticky, if you will. You want that. So if you compare, oh, I could make a little bit more money over down the street at Google, but I wouldn't wake up each morning as excited to come to work. Potentially, yeah. you know, and I'm just using Google's example. It could be, you know, company X. And so I, I'm, I feel like the, you know, as long as, and, and the collaboration, as you know, it's, you know, who you work with is important. And we're really carefully at people that whose values align with our values. I feel like that's kind of the X factor where it's the uh, psychic rewards as well as the financial rewards. Yeah, yeah. And of, of these two, which do you consider your greatest accomplishment, winning San Francisco's first world championship or actually saving the team from moving to Tampa in the 90s? I would say the latter only because if we didn't do save the team, we wouldn't have won the championship, Yeah. right? Yeah. And and the thing is, I have a, up at my wall, and this was just, again, an amazing collective effort, and obviously Peter McGowan was right at the center of it, and our ownership group that we assembled, the, you know, 18 civic leaders, you know many of them, who were agreed to become investors and, and part owners of the Giants without really any guarantees at all that their money, that it would be a sustainable venture, right? Because we had lost at that point in 1993, the previous owner had lost four ballpark initiatives to build here, two in San Francisco, two in the South Bay. And so these are more civic-minded people that were leading with their heart hearts. And so be, to be able to get convinced baseball that we were going to find a way to get a ballpark built. And to be able to, you know, the community to come together where the, the dollars would be raised, not just to acquire the team, but then to build a ballpark privately. It was, it was great. I mean, and they say my, I mean, it's everybody's accomplishment. And um, there was a really great coming together of community. And, you know, people talk about how things are contentious in San Francisco politically. Well, we've, you know, the good news is we had, you know, when there are 11 members of the Board of Supervisors and there were 11 uh, votes to save the Giants, to build the ballpark, and also to uh, build our development across the McCovey Cove, uh, Mission Rock. I mean, the, we've been able to have a really good re working relationship with the city, you know, in times that aren't, aren't always easy. Yeah. And, and you had mentioned you, you pulled off the very first privately financed ballpark in the big leagues. I mean, to this day, when you come to work and you walk around this ballpark, are you just still amazed about? I mean, you knew there was a good location, but it this place is pretty special. It's it's I we're just so you know thrilled with what how it's been received and you know it's it's crazy, Larry. The new ballpark 
is 23 years old. How about that? It's amazing. <laughs> and, you know, and I remember when um, we were uh, working on acquiring the team and we, we looked at sort of w- what Candlestick was. Candlestick was essentially the same age as Dodger Stadium in 1993, sure. right? So they, they, each of them were about 35 years, 30, 35 years old. And Candlestick felt like it was 75 years old and Dodger Stadium felt like it was 10 years old. And we used that as a model that you've got to maintain the facility. Yeah. So when we walk in here, so we do, you know, this time of year before the season, we're doing a lot of little things that aren't easily seen by the fans, right? But the maintenance and the, you know, sort of the the under the hood stuff of the 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 pipes and the painting and the the cleanliness and you know, we're trying to keep the ballpark feeling very young. And if we do we think this could be this ballpark can be around for a long, long time. You know, not unlike the Wrigley's and Femways of the world. Yeah, you know, when you took over the club, the Giants Community Fund had just begun. There wasn't much happening, and how how important was the growth of your community presence as part of the overall goal of building a championship franchise? I think the the growth of our community presence was just absolutely fundamental to our mission, and. I think we we step back and a lot of credit to Peter McGowan and uh, and our ownership group is that you know we we had you know there were basically kind of three pillars right we wanted to win a championship you know win championships we wanted to be not even in this order really uh, necessarily but we wanted to be financially solvent right we can't there's it's not a bottomless pit we have to be you know find a way to to make ends meet or you know, or, or fund it all. And then the third thing, and, and break even is fine, but we got to break even. We can't lose, you know, the amount of money that the previous owner was losing every year. But the third thing, which really was, I think, equally important to the first two was to be a pillar in the community, to realize that we wear San Francisco across our chest. When we take the field, it says San Francisco, and that means something. It's more than you know, a widget company, right? We are, we, a lot of people feel like we're, you know, a quasi-public utility. So as such, we have to demonstrate, reflect the values of the community and give back. And one of the things that the community fund launched a number of programs. And one of the things we did at the, at the team level is we asked every player in uniform to identify a a cause. And it was, it was a hundred percent participation program and that we will support, we will help you support it. So, and it could be, and if you don't, you're not from here, you might not have a cause or it could be, and so we'll help you identify one too, if, if you like, or it could be your own. So, you know, over the years, I mean, we've had, as you know, I mean, you know, Rod Beck was involved in, in AIDS research and in pediatric sponsored a camp for kids. We, you know, Buster Posey, pediatric cancer. We've had folks involved in, I remember JT Snow had the snowpack, you know, for uh, disadvantaged children. So all of that. And then the, and then the fund as a 501c3 getting active and having partnerships. Our number one partnership is with, has been with you through the years, building fields, building what, two dozen fields, you know, in that range. And so we can, even if we don't win a championship in any given year, even if we're financially, it's a little wobbly, and we certainly had that during the pandemic, we could still hold our head high. And and one one last thing on that point, 
the 18 investors that started out with this, with it, we're up to about 30 now, but that the investor group, that's their DNA. They're civic minded. That's so it's very consistent. It's not, I haven't had as the CEO, you know, I've obviously we got a board and we have a larger investor group. This is not a hard sell to be involved in the community. It's sort of like where they want to be. It's where their, their heads are in terms of how to go. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously you mentioned a club could be considered a quasi utility. So obviously you're, you're feeling, which, you know, I've asked a lot of people in the, in the professional sports world that it, it, it's a beyond a responsibility to get back. Correct. Right. 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 This is, it's more, it's just kind of, I think the way to look at it is it's more than a business. You know, and in some cases, not true here, the facility is actually a municipally owned. So it is actually a kind of a part of a city or a, or a municipality. Right. In our case, it's a privately built ballpark, but it's still, you know, we're, we, we want to, we want to have that obligation or responsibility or, you know, because we, we embrace it. We like it. We like it. You know, people feel like this is a community gathering place. And again, over the last couple of years, I think that was accentuated by, geez, we're in our house, we're, we're in a pandemic, we're not together, and what a facility like this can do to bring people together is, um, you know, was, was highlighted. Yeah. Yeah, and as you mentioned, we've been your partner for the Peter A. McGowan Fields for Kids program, where we've created 26 new Junior Giants fields, and we're going to add two more of that in this upcoming year. I know most of which you showed up for, which is great. Tell us about that program and what it means to you and the club. I say every year, um, it's kind of like one of my favorite days of the year is to go to the to the you know we've been doing a couple a year to do the one or two field dedications. What it does is, in the end, we are investing in our, our children and we in baseball especially and in underserved communities. The challenges are immense, and we didn't have the know-how or the ability to do this ourselves. So the one of the greatest things that ever happened, and I can't remember how we first met, but how the Giants and Good Tidings first met, and you could describe that, but whoever whoever introduced us is a saint because we were we we have been able through you to realize you know the goal and the dreams of everywhere. I mean, I'm, we've been everywhere together, right? And and the, and the most underserved populations. I mean, we were over in Richmond the other uh, a little while ago, and uh, people reminded us of when we did the field in Richmond and East Palo Alto and Hunters Point and some really you know challenging neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, if we're going to wear San Francisco across our chest, we have to represent the community and even the and most importantly the underserved community. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned we Good Tidings started. 29 years ago, the first five years was in my garage. And then Mayor Brown, then we had just done a, a field here in the city. And and I approached him. I said, hey, you know, some of these, there's there's some room at Candlestick Park. I used to have an office there. I know there's a couple little spots down, you know, toward the right field corner. Would you donate a space for us? Which he did, which I love, Mayor Brown, because yeah. he just, just do it, right? Absolutely. And uh, we're going to be a partner for you forever. Oh, absolutely. And it happened to be just two doors down from Sue Peterson, who was just hired at the oh, time. My and so the director of the of the fund and the rest is history. And when Fields came and we were well, our first owned Crocker Amazon. That's right. And you talk about serendipity. I mean, that has been, I mean, that that 
sort of triggered a amazing ability for us every year to feel like and to serve and and identify. I, what I love is we've identified communities outside San Francisco. I mean, born and raised in the city, so I care a lot about San Francisco. But you know, we also are serving everyone, and I've. You know, whether we go to the Central Valley and Sacramento, I know this year I believe we're going to go to what Vacaville and Hollister. I mean, really, really wonderful. It's meant the world to us. It it's it, it really has, Larry. So thank you for for yeah. that partnership. And people should know that this is approaching thirty thousand children. This is not some. This is not your local little league. This is a big number. And if you look on the map, and you can go to jrgiants.org and look it up, but there's a leagues in Medford, Oregon. Lake Tahoe, approaching Dodger fandom down south yeah. into, you know, southern down to towards Bakersfield yep. and San Luis Obispo. And it's pretty amazing. It's not just right here, which I, I is a tribute to your staff that they figured out a way with all the volunteers and these coaches and, and the way they do it. So kudos. Well, and the fact the fields are so state of the art and so top grade, top notch. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's also easy to attract coaches and, and players and, and to bring resources to communities that don't have resources. And so, yeah, it's amazing. 30,000, you know, and a shout out to um, the, the uh, Giants Community Fund people who, who make it all happen, too. Yeah. You know, when we started, too, this is well, but this is kind of commonplace now amongst the other professional teams we work with. But then assistant GM Ned Coletti. Mm-hmm had the idea, saw what we were doing, and had the idea of putting money into players' contracts for fields. And, you know, we go way back to Barry Bonds and the, and the players back then and all the way fast forward to Buster Posey and last year Brandon Crawford. This is a brilliant idea because, let's face it, players make a lot of money. You have to give it to them. Yeah. <laughs> so a spinning off a little bit for a field is is brilliant. It's been a blessing. That yeah. is, and, and Ned Coletti, and I, had, I didn't realize, and now it, it's coming back to me that, you know, that that was a brilliant stroke because whenever we raise it now, they all say yes. Yeah, and we have a lot of new contracts this year. And as I as they've come through across my desk, they've all have them in there. Yeah, right. And so and you know, and the player can gear it if they have their own foundation, they have their own charity. But a lot of these players, you know, 24, 25, 26 years old, you know, or even in late twenties, early thirties, they would love for us to help identify. Yeah. And more times than not, we're identifying the, the fields program. Yeah. The Pierre McGowan fields program. Yeah. You know, and I know you very often also get personally involved in charitable causes. And I was reading your bio and one, one kind of stuck out that you and your wife, Pam, co-chaired in the campaign to rebuild San Francisco General Hospital about six years ago. That sounds daunting. It was daunting, but, you know, it, it's it's interesting. I think people are smart, right? People in the community are generally smart. If you're straightforward, I get you know, the kind of the, the operative word these days is transparent. You know, I don't know if I love that word, but that's it's probably uh, appropriate here. And so what we were doing was it was a bond measure. So it was it was two things. It was the politics of of getting a bond measure passed and then that's step one. Then step two was raising the money for the money for the uh, construction costs that the bond measure wouldn't include, which was a lot of the internal operations, another say two hundred million, and the bond measure was you know well over a billion dollars. Um, <laughs> and at the time, the city had the capacity to do it. We had, to, but we had to get the vote. We had to get two thirds vote for bond measure. 
And again, kind of like the ballpark, we ended up with no political opposition. And we ended up, we got, I think it was one of the highest, if not the highest on record, we had 81% yes. Wow. So, I mean, I I believe that if you put on the ballot in San Francisco, um, the sky is blue, you're probably not going to get 81% <laughs> if you agree with that statement. It would be, you know, people might, might uh, disagree. But, but San Francisco general is just such a, it, it, it reminds me of some of the things we're talking about here. It's, it's a critical part of our community because it doesn't matter who you are. If you are hit by a car, if you have a stroke, if you are in trauma, if you are in immediate need, whatever your station in life is, you, whether you're unhoused or you're a billionaire, there's one level one trauma facility in the city and the next one is you know, there's one in Stanford and 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 in Davis, but in our region, there's just one, San Francisco General, and they have brilliant doctors who will take care of you. They also have brilliant departments, you know, around all disciplines of medicine too, and they are, you know, roughly two thirds of the of the people that walk in the doors are either uninsured or underinsured, so it's highly indexed to people with without the means. And that's why we have to have San Francisco General Hospital. Zuckerberg Chan, San Francisco General Hospital, because one of the gifts in that campaign was from Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan, his wife, who was a doctor and was trained at San Francisco General. So we're, we, we think it's one of the, it, it, sometimes it's not well understood or known, but it's like one of the, the you know, amazing miracles of our living in our community is we have San Francisco General there for people that are under under resourced or or in an emergency situation, it's a training hospital for UCSF. So it is we're getting the best of breed. Yeah. Well, I just want to take a moment again just to thank you. Anytime we've reached out to you, you've treated us just like the Giants Community Fund. The Good Tidings Foundation is an equal part of the family. When we had our endowment campaign years ago, you put up the challenge grant to the other teams to make sure they would contribute because they were partners. Just your foresight in that was tremendous. Your team we've worked with, Shana, Sue, Bertha, Paul, and so many others have been equally as kind to us. So we thank you. We look forward to seeing you and everyone at the Playball Lunch on March 27th. You can go online and look for some tickets there where I know you'll kick off the 2023 campaign for Giants season. And really, thank you for joining me today. And thanks for all the stuff I know we'll be doing together in the future. Well, thank you, Larry. As I say, it's been a blessing being associated with you personally and with Good Tidings Foundation. And I just look forward to more and more uh, collaboration and partnership and uh, sending lots of love to you and your group. I appreciate it. And your family. Thank you. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed another episode of the Good Tidings podcast hosted by Good Tidings Foundation founder, Larry Harper. For more information on all the good we're doing, go to goodtidings.org.